everybody, it is I, the Great Clement. With me, as always, is my co-host. Say hello. Hello, everyone. I hope all of y'all to my American peeps had a great beginning to your holiday season. Whereas for Clement, it was just another Thursday. Mm -mm. Oh, that's right. Jeez, Kara, why do you get two Thanksgivings? I got two Thanksgivings this year! <laughs> 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 but yes, I hope all of you are doing very well, getting some rest, staying warm, depending on where you live in the world, and welcome to another C-Squared episode. Absolutely, and we got a whole bunch of topics to talk about, some of which are going to have spoilers in them, because I thought I wanted to do something a little different this time around. Uh, at some point, we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim, and I don't know how you talk about that series without revealing its big twist, you know? It's pretty much impossible to talk about the new Scott Pilgrim Netflix show without talking about spoilers, I found, so there will be, like, a spoiler marker as to, like, when we'll discuss that. Absolutely. And since we're coming back to the topic of Spider-Man 2, which we did talk about in the last episode... Uh, I figured this would be a more fun approach to actually talk about the plot details, to talk about the things that happen in the game, which will also be spoiler-filled. Because I want to experiment with C-Squared. I feel like a lot of the times we're just tiptoeing around major details, and we don't really talk about the nitty-gritty. We don't talk about the inside guts of the things that we like and whatnot. And sometimes that'd be nice to hear our thoughts on, nice to hear... Oh, what did you think of uh, Sonic Frontier's ending? What did you think of uh, this or that? This or that? And, you know, I want to experiment more with doing spoiler-filled podcasts, uh, you know, in moderation. Like, uh, I'm not going to spoil too much about Super Mario RPG or uh, Five Nights at Freddy's when we talk about those. But, you know, for this going forward, I just want to start introducing some more spoiler-filled conversations, and we'll warn you when they happen so that you can click away and go listen to something else. But, uh, yeah, Spider-Man 2 and Scott Pilgrim Takes Off will be spoiler-filled, and uh, you have now been warned. Also, I think I figured out my microphone finally. And if I haven't, I'm going to beat myself to death. That's not very YouTube friendly now, is it? <laughs> well, shit. I'm going to be like angry video game nerd. I'm going to be releasing like <laughs> Clement's Let's Plays censored. Oh, gosh. No. Don't how remind do you, me of that. How? No. <laughs> how? How do you force the angry video game nerd to release his old videos with lots of... Like every, there are sentences where he swears every three words and it's just like, beep, beep, beep. it's, oh sacrilege. my God, it's horrible. <laughs> Crazy. At least the videos from 16 years ago are still there. Thank God. They're still there. At least if they like <laughs> took those out and then kept the censored one, like as the quote unquote official version, there'd be much, much, much more backlash. Yeah. I mean, I actually download other YouTubers' videos and, and I store them in my own hard drive because I don't want them to uh, disappear from the internet because I love them so much. Yeah. Uh, I got a mountain of, like, spoony content. <laughs> <laughs> I got AVGN stuff. I got, uh, I got a lot of stuff from Rev3 Games. They had a lot of great discussions, a lot of great roundtable stuff that uh, I don't... Because I feel like one day Rev3 Games might just disappear... Uh, that that company and that whole thing went 
defunct around like 2011. No, not 2011, but like 2013, 2014 or so. And I don't want to lose any of that. I want to preserve that and I want to hold on to that. So yeah, I actually collect content from YouTube and I actually hoard it on my servers just in case, you know. <laughs> Does anyone do that with me? Do you, did you download my Final Fantasy videos and keep them on a hard drive somewhere? One of my friends does that, but with wrestling and specifically with ECW, because the network version of ECW has, like, all the original music, like, replaced, and it's really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, the original vision of how ECW was enjoyed back in the 90s is intact through, like, other sources online. So if I'm going out of my way to watch, like, ECW, I want it in the original version as it was originally intended and not whatever the network decided to release on their own end. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Speaking of wrestling, well, Caro, I think we got some egg on our face. I think we're wearing some clown outfits. You know what's so funny? I not only have a clown outfit and an egg on my face, but I'm also wearing this, the, the CM Punk shirt that I got a collision <laughs> a few months ago. Because, like, my, I, I think I mentioned it in the previous episode um, or two ago, but I wanted to buy this shirt because I was like, well, I can't believe CM Punk wiggled his way back into AEW and has his own show, and he's here tonight, I feel like it should be a historical moment to buy this shirt to signify the fact that this all happened. So I did, and then he did the fight, like, four days later and was fired. And now, um, he is back in WWE, <laughs> which <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> <laughs> but he's back in WWE. <laughs> yeah. When did he leave? Was it like 2013, 2014? He left in January of 2014. And now in November of 2023, CM Punk is back in WWE. Good lord. <laughs> it was so funny because like the entire maybe like couple of weeks or so leading up to this event um they were doing a lot of like references to punk on tv and you know me like i'm part of like speculation culture especially with like nintendo directs and e3s and stuff i find that people overhype a lot of those events yeah you know like because they announce a nintendo direct and people are like oh well i'm gonna get like I don't know, new 3D Mario, new 3D Zelda, new F-Zero, new Pokemon game, um, Wario's Woods Remastered. <laughs> and, like, they, they, they set up all these high expectations for themselves. And a lot of the times, a lot of people leave directs either thinking it's okay or disappointed because they expected more. So with Punk and the idea of him coming into WWE... A part of me, yes, it was a part of me that was like, oh, he's burning a lot of bridges. I don't really think he's going to go back to WWE. But another part of that was me thinking about how people overhype things a lot in wrestling. Like, it's a big thing in wrestling. It's just as bad, if not worse, than it is in video games. 
And I didn't want people watching Survivor Series to, like, gang up on Triple H or other people in the back because CM Punk didn't show up. Yeah. And it's the fact that, like, they were making all those references that people were like, oh, well, he's going to show up at Survivor Series. Like, obviously, people are making... A lot of the wrestlers are making references of him on TV. And my idea was, well, yes, because they want you to tune into the show so that they could generate the, you know, buy rate and the view count, even if he doesn't show up, because that's a tactic people do. Like, it's a thing that's happened before. So I was going in with, like, no expectation at all, and I was even joking about it with my friends. And then he actually popped out, and I'm like, well, 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 well damn. <laughs> <laughs> he actually showed up. <laughs> Hell has frozen over. Yeah. There's a lot of animosity there, like... Oh, yeah. Again, you guys got to understand the like, he made a podcast that basically destroyed his friendship with Colt Cabana that <laughs> detailed every issue, every transgression that like pissed him off about WWE. It's one of the most famous wrestling podcasts of all time. <laughs> yep. And in AEW, he was just like constantly taking digs, taking shots at what WWE is. Yeah, I think there's that famous promo where he's with MJF and he's just like, because MJF always jokes with the idea that like in 2024, my contract is up and I might go over to the other side to go see jolly old Saint Nick. And uh, CM Punk's just like, I promise you the grass isn't greener on the other side. <laughs> you know? Have fun main eventing night two of a buy one, get one free event. <laughs> also was said after that. So this boy has said a lot. And a lot of AEW fans have taken this as a betrayal. And I can understand that. Because he went on TV for like two years and started bashing this company. And he made all these comments. And for him to go back to that company... And for that community to be mad about that, I get it. I really do. Mm -hmm. Where else was he supposed to go, though? Aside from WWE. I feel like, yeah, it, it's, it sucks when you think about it in that viewpoint, but I don't, I don't see anywhere else he was going to go. Impact, um, which is another smaller wrestling company, I don't think they have punk money. I'm sure they have money. I don't think they have CM Punk money. So I, did, I never Caro, thought he was going there. It's not Impact anymore. They've rebranded. They are once again TNA. <laughs> well, excuse my language. <sighs> TNA. <laughs> well, I'm sure TNA has money. But I don't think they have CM Punk money. So I didn't think he was going to go there. And then I didn't think he was going to go to New Japan either just because their backstage culture is absolutely different and there's still that connection to AEW that would have made things awkward. So if Punk was going back to wrestling, it would have been WWE. And for me, because I thought that bridge had already been closed and shut off, like, he did such a PR thing that was awful in AEW, so surely we don't want him in WWE. I thought that bridge to wrestling was closed, like, forever. But apparently not. Like, the deal came together very quickly, from what I have been told. And, you know, as of this recording, the only thing that's really happened is he showed up at Survivor Series at the very, very end. And it was also one of those things where, like, they had, like, the copyright bar in the corner, so you thought, like, okay, this is definitely the end of the show. I should turn off the TV and leave the room. <laughs> Which some of my friends did do. Like, I was in a Discord call with all my friends. Um, because we watched wrestling <laughs> together. And some of my friends, like, exited out of the Discord call, and it happened. 
And then when punk, the punk music hit, everyone just jumped back in. And like, wait, what? Oh, God. <laughs> this is so funny. He just showed up at the entrance. And then two days later on Monday Night Raw, he came out to do a promo that was about like four or five minutes in length, it felt, felt like. Oh. He said that he's a changed man. <laughs> it may sound a little corny, it may sound a little cheeseball, but I'm home. <laughs> and yeah, even I rolled my eyes a little bit there. It's <laughs> just like, no, oh God. That's the, that's the plan, though. I think he's going to present himself as pretty corny going forward. And then um, Seth Rollins, who infamously was like, lashing out in kayfabe to punk's entrance at survivor series i think he's gonna be like oh no i see through everything you're not everything you say you are blah blah blah, blah. and then we get a match with them i heard the match was happening at the royal rumble but um, already yeah that's the plan it's either at the royal rumble or night one of mania those are the two um things that i heard um i also heard that the reason why that promo was cut um, the CM Punk one in particular was because the Randy Orton match went on a little bit too long, so unfortunately they had to cut that. I think the original time of that segment was supposed to be 15 minutes. God damn it, Randy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we blame Dominic. I blame Dominic here. <laughs> yeah, always blame Dominic, motherfucker. So yeah, that's really all we have to say about his return. So far, we haven't heard any backstage drama yet. Nope. <laughs> and honestly he hasn't he hasn't pissed off triple h in some capacity yet honestly i think wwe runs a tighter ship than AEW. so even if something does happen i don't think we'd hear about it for a while that's just me no i agree as we think about how the current wwe is kind of doing a great job right now it kind of reminds me of the storytelling that existed in that company in the 90s with the Attitude Era, you know, and just sitting there and watching all these extreme wrestlers wrestle on TV and doing explicit stuff. And maybe in your bedroom in 1997, you had a collection of video games. And maybe that collection of video games included a Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And maybe in that Super Nintendo Entertainment System, you owned a copy of Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. <laughs> Would I be accurate in this evaluation, Clint? That was an amazing segue. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, it would be very accurate to suggest that I was a huge fan of Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, one of the greatest Squaresoft RPGs that I grew up with. It got me into this genre the same way that Final Fantasy IV did. And um, it's like everyone, it's weird, for the longest time, everyone would always go on and on about Paper Mario and how it was the RPG. And then Superstar Saga and the Mario and Luigi series came out and then it was the RPG of that era. And it felt like for the longest time in the 2010s that like everyone would always talk about Paper Mario, everyone would always talk about Mario and Luigi, but nobody ever talked about Mario RPG. Even though it was a cult classic and people loved it, 
It just felt like it was one of those lesser known, obscure ones until Smash Brothers entered the picture. And then everyone was like, Gino needs to be in Smash. Gino needs to be in Smash. Because <laughs> people love Gino. But yeah, it was surprising when I went to visit you in Philadelphia and a Nintendo Direct happened. Mm-hmm. And what was revealed? Friggin' a remake of Super Mario RPG. Holy shit, what the hell? And it's coming out in November. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it was a very faithful remake. I mean, there are things that changes for sure. And even though the original game is already, you know, not that challenging, it's already pretty easy. The remake is easier, if you can believe it. And uh, the localization the animations, the everything is exactly as it used to be. And uh, it, it warms the cockles of my heart. But you didn't play Mario RPG when it was new. You didn't play it at nope. all for the last 26 years, did you? Nope. Mario RPG actually released in the U.S. a little bit over a week after I was born. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> so May of 96, it was released. And yeah, um, I didn't own a Super Nintendo growing up. I had friends that owned Super Nintendos, but they didn't own Mario RPG. I didn't even think about getting it virtually when it was a virtual option on the Wii, oh, I, I I hopped on that. I hopped on no. that. I had, like, no attachment because I never played it. So I didn't have, like, an attachment to it. Um, yeah. but as I've gotten older and spend more time on the internet and spent and, you know, have more friends that grew up in the nineties, this is one of the video games that everyone like tells me is such a good, p- big part of their childhood. They love this game and, you know, it might've been a late Super Nintendo release, but clearly if a game has been talked about this much, then... There's obviously, like, a lot of love and a lot of charm put into it. But the problem is, I never really had a chance or a way to play it. So when the remake was announced, I'm like, oh, well, this is my chance now. So I played the game. And yeah, I can see what y'all are talking about. This game is amazing. (laughs) This game is so good. (laughs) I loved, loved playing this game. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. And, uh, yeah, it's just, again, I'm so thankful that it was still funny. Yes, it is very. I always, you always have like those nostalgia for like things that you played as a kid, and you wonder like if you go back to it, is it still gonna hold up? Is it still gonna be like as good as you remember? And I genuinely burst out laughing a lot during this game. Yes, <laughs> they kept all the things that make Mario a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's this moment where um. You go back to the Flower Inn after recruiting Gino, and Gino explains to the kid why he has to leave and go on an adventure because he has to accompany Mario to recover the star pieces and repair the star road. And the little kid who had previously knocked out Mario with a toy and made him unconscious through that, he agrees that, like, well, yeah, I'm going to miss you, but you should definitely go because Mario needs all the help he can get. And Mario, in just pure rage at what this kid just said, goes to punch the kid in the face. <laughs> and Malo has to hold Mario back. <laughs> 
and you could see his sprite just like yeah. struggling to move his arm, struggling to punch this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but Malo's holding him back, and I just think like that is the funniest thing in the world to make Super Mario, beloved Nintendo icon, do in a video game. <laughs> yep. It's a very off-kilter storyline where, you know, it's still Mario at the end of the day. It's not going to be super dark, and when there are dark things, there's usually things that are played up for a laugh, like uh, the soap opera drama of, like, oh my god, Mallow's heritage, you know, like, <laughs> Caro, Caro, what? can you believe that Mallow wasn't a frog? Oh my gosh, he's not a frog? What? Wow. You mean- Oh my god. I have not seen this coming. He's not green. He's not shaped like a frog. How could he not be a frog? Crazy. <laughs> There's that moment where the frog sage tells this to Mallow and they got like all the tadpoles and the Lakitu in the area all come in to be like, oh, oh no, no. All the NPCs are just like really goofy people. Like you meet this eccentric man child. I don't know how else to describe Booster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's pretty accurate. I think Booster's amazing. Because, like, he doesn't know what a party is. No. And he's playing with toys and stuff, and he wants to get married to Princess Peach for some reason. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to be out of sexual desire or because he wants to kiss her, because he's never been kissed before. <laughs> Which leads to the greatest moment in Mario RPG history, if you're a, a shipper. Yes. <laughs> There are a lot of good moments like that in the game, but the tiny details got it for me. Like, I think you enter the Mushroom Kingdom, and there's, like, you go into this one house, and there's, like, a toad that's, like, jumping up and down on the bed. <laughs> Which, yeah. from what I looked up, that also happens in the original, too. The toad is jumping up and down the bed. Yeah, yeah. And you can go to the bed, you can talk to the toad, and then the toad's like, I want to be just like you someday. And then you have two options. You can either say, yeah, or you could say something like, no, are you kidding me? Or something like that. So if you encourage the toad, the toad will keep jumping up and down. If you put down the toad and tell him his dreams are stupid, he'll just stop. Like he stops jumping on the bed. And it's so, it's so dark, but it's so funny. The Gee, idea thanks Mario, a lot. Yeah, the idea of Mario being like, no, I don't want you pursuing your dreams. Stop. You'll never be like me. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, probably not, because this is something you have to really go out of your way to experiment with, but my favorite thing about the special suite in Marymore is that every time you stay there, you have to pay, like, a gigantic coin purse, because, you know, it's a suite. It's meant for honeymooners. It's meant for, like, the rich and famous. And the thing is, when you rest in it, you can you can activate the lamp again and rest a second time and activate it again and rest a third time and activate it again and rest a fourth time. And every time you do, it's added to your bill. So oh, you no. know how expensive it is to get in there. <laughs> and if you don't have the money to pay for that, they make Mario work as a bellhop and you have to actually what? work in the hotel oh and gosh. lead other... This is real. This was like this in the oh Super Nintendo God. and it still works in the remake too. I have a ton of coins to spend. I'm trying that. <laughs> if you have 
if you spend too many nights at the hotel and you can't pay for it, they make you work as a bellhop and you have to like literally guide the, the couples into the suite and show them how the, the hotel and the shower works and stuff. And it was just one of those cute, quirky details that like, it's so goofy. But when I found out that that happened as a kid, I was just like losing my mind. Uh, but the thing I wanted to bring attention to about Mary Moore is that when you save Princess Peach and she finally joins the party, uh, you can try leaving out the left exit, at which point Mallow will come out and he'll be like, whoa, whoa, Mario, we have to go back to the Mushroom Kingdom. We have to uh, uh, bring Princess back to the Chancellor. And then, Mar and then there's an option, yes or no. And, I, and you can go, no. And so Gino comes out and he's like, Mario, it's very important that we bring the princess back to the chancellor. He's worried sick. Yes or no? No. <laughs> so Princess Peach comes out. She's like, Mario, I don't want everyone to be worried. We have to go back to the Mushroom Kingdom. Yes or no? No. Bowser comes out. Hey, are you trying to rain on my parade? Only I can kidnap the princess. What are you doing? <laughs> And then you could say it for a final time. No! And then all four of them start screaming and yelling at Mario, and then that's the whole stupid skit. But it just... <laughs> oh my god. I just love little details like that, where you can make Mario seem like such a petulant jerk and such a... He's such a dick in this game. I love it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this might be my favorite Mario in any game. You can really make him an asshole. <laughs> It's like, I have always said that, like, Mario, there is a dark side to this character that makes him a lot more enjoyable than people give credit. Like, this character was the villain of Donkey Kong Jr., you know? In mm -hmm. Luigi's ending for Mario Power Tennis for the GameCube, when Luigi wins the trophy, Mario, like, steps on his foot out of jealousy because he's, like, really jealous that his brother got the trophy. Yeah. <laughs> there is a dark side to Mario where, yes, he's the hero, but if things don't go his way, he is a vengeful asshole. And that is why I find it so fun to play Mario in so many of these games. Whereas, like, if I'll go to a party setup, like everyone's playing Mario Party or we might be playing Mario Wonder or something, everyone will want to play as uh luigi everyone want to play as peach or daisy everyone want to play as these characters and i'm fine just playing mario because mario to me there's more than meets the eye there's something very sinister about mario and i find that aspect of his character fascinating i feel like that needs to be the next main mario just him being a bad guy he's a bad guy and then you have to play as luigi or something like that <laughs> Oh boy, when, would Nintendo ever let that slide? I mean, I'm just thankful that like Mario RPG, so much of the localization, so much of the dialogue is intact. Like, there are two things about the dialogue I think were ruined in comparison. Well, actually, three. Um, okay. One, they take out the Bruce Lee reference. Shame on you, Nintendo. <laughs> what kids are going to know about Bruce Lee now? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was hilarious when Milo's like, "Hey, who do you think you are, Bruce Lee? You can't just go in there with your fists flying." If they wanted a more accurate like reference, they could have said, "Who do you think you are, Logan Paul?" <laughs> Logan Paul. Oh no, no. I don't know who's like 
a popular boxer or fighter. I would have said Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor is like very problematic, so he wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I was trying to think of the actor who plays uh, the blind guy in Star Wars Rogue One, but I can't think of his name mm, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and Jet Li's still around, I think. <laughs> I think he might have been in that new Expendables movie. Get Jason. Yeah, Jason Statham. Who do you think you are? Jason Statham? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Who do you think you are? John Wick? Who do you think you are? Keanu Reeves? <laughs> Easy, the kids would get that. <laughs> uh, the other two localization changes I didn't like was that every time Bowser uh, talks about his group, in the original, he called it the Koopa Troop. And I actually like that. I think the Koopa Troop is a better name than Bowser's Minions, trademark. So, like, every time he's talking about his group, he always has to say, you're a, you're a proud member of Bowser's Minions. And I'm just like, why would he phrase it like that? Why would he phrase it like, not my minions or my thing? It's always Bowser's Minions, Bowser's Minions. Whereas in the original, it's the Koopa Troop. And it sounds a lot more natural. Um, the Koopa Troop also sounds very 90s. Yeah. The final localization change I didn't like was that uh, when you go into Nimbus Palace... And you're trying to pass yourself off as a gold statue. Yeah. Um, Garo, the the sculptor, he tells Valentina that this is supposed to be to represent, like, in search of lost brother, which I don't think is as good or as clever as how it was in the localization, which was this is supposed to represent a plumber's lament. <laughs> Dang. Maybe it's because Nintendo are trying to, like, distance themselves from calling him a plumber. I don't know. Maybe. Even though they did in Mario Odyssey. You assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it. Otherwise, the script is very one-to-one, -one, very much exactly how it used to be. A lot of those 90s-centric dialogue that, like, that off-kilter, very strange localization is still there. And uh, yeah. I'm very thankful for it. Very thankful for it. Absolutely. And, like, even if some of, like, the references are kind of, like, dated, it's not many, like, dated references and, like, the writing still holds up. Like, even though this script was clearly written, like, 25 years ago, I still laughed at a lot of different things. I still got, like, the jokes that they were going for. And it was still really enjoyable. Like, the gameplay is definitely on the easier side in terms of RPGs that I've played, but the writing and the tone and the um, story clearly make up for that. So it's a big strength on that game's part, and I really loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree that maybe for veterans, there probably could have been a hard mode that probably should have been added to this game. Because, like, the game does have post-game fights that weren't in the original. Yeah. Like, when you beat Smithy and you clear the game... When you reload your save, Toad comes up to you telling you that, like, oh, we got some new uh, developments happening. You should go meet up with all these people. And so you can refight Punchinello, refight Booster, refight uh, even the super boss, Culix. There is a, a refight with him that is the hardest fight in the game. Ooh. And um, so, like, they have these new, very hard version fights that, like, are definitely way more advanced than anything in the main game. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of people who are like, 
geez, I blew through this game. And, and then there's a lot of reasons for that because they've added this thing where like when you time your timed attacks perfectly, it does splash damage. Like you'll hit yeah. not just the person you aimed for, but it will ricochet and bounce off onto everyone else, which that is not how it is in the original Super Mario RPG. You only affect the person you aim for in the original, and now you're doing big group attacks, which only gets stronger the higher your combo is. So like if you're doing your timed attacks and timed defenses perfectly, you're actually accelerating your damage and enhancing how much you know output you get out there. So, like, if you're really good at the timed stuff, you just kind of blow through this game. Um, not to mention that you're also building up this gauge that gives you triple attacks, which are not in the original. You'll have all these crazy yeah. team-up moves that just, like, deal out a ridiculous amount of damage and can really help you in a pinch. Um, and they didn't really balance the enemies to make them harder or to accommodate these new developments. So no. the same difficulty that they were in the original, they're now getting curb stomped by all these combo effects and all these splash damage and the triple attacks. And so, yeah, this is definitely an easier experience for newbies and you're not going to struggle too much with this game. No. Um, but at the same time, I think that's good because it is Super Mario. Like, I think... If you're trying to get kids into RPGs, whether it's Pokemon, whether it's Mario, it needs to be easygoing. This can't be Shin Megami Tensei levels of bullshit, all right? No, this game shot up the list for me. I always said that, like, if I had a kid one day and I'd introduce them to RPGs, I'd introduce them to Pokemon. I'm adding Mario RPG to this list because, like, it's perfect. Yeah. Like, the gameplay is easy and the writing is hilarious. That's all you need. <laughs> And this is also like one of the first games ever to start making RPGs kind of action based. Like, yeah, I, I would say Final Fantasy four is a great gateway to the Final Fantasy series. Like, that's a good starting point for Final Fantasy. That's what I that was my first RPG. Yeah. But at the same time, it is very methodical and it is very much like you select attack on someone and you just watch it play out. Whereas Mario RPG, there's an element of timing. So it's not just that you're attacking the Goomba, you have to push A at the right moment for Mario to do a second uppercut and enhance his damage. Or when the spiny shoots its little spike at you, you have to push the A button in time to reduce that damage to bring it down to straight up zero. You know, you can, you can go through so many of the fights not taking any damage whatsoever just because of your timing. Yep. Which... Yeah, it's easy, but it also makes the combat fun because you're not just like inputting commands. You're you're playing to every move. You're reacting to every move. Like when when Joffle is bringing out his big fork and he goes to stab you, you know that you're kind of anticipating the stab and you're anticipating to push A when the fork reaches your character. And I think that's really engaging and really fun. And like. Not all weapons have the same timing, so like yeah. each character can like use a different different variety of weapons. So you even have to like calculate when's the right time to press A for the weapon that you use, which does have variety if you're into that. Like Bowser, he can slash things with his hands. He can throw a chain chomp that goes. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> or my favorite of his attacks 
the Hurley glove. Yes, I love the Hurley glove. Where he goes up to where Mario is, picks him up, and throws Mario at the enemies. <laughs> Which is such a Bowser thing to do. I love that. Yes. He's like, yeah, I'll throw you. <laughs> yeah, maybe it could have had a hard mode, but as an entry-level RPG, it serves its function well. Because um, I think about, like, what a disaster Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood was, where that was <laughs> yeah. Sonic's first RPG. It was his first RPG. And, like, this, look, I'm sorry. This is going to offend some people. I'm sorry. I have to say it. What? Sonic is predominantly aimed towards children. <gasps> How dare you? I, 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 I'm just saying the rating on the box is usually E for everyone. And they make children's cartoons and children's apps for this character because it's meant for children. I love that Sonic has like this early adolescent show on TikTok, like Sonic, Sonic and his friends. One? Oh, I yeah. love that one. It's so cute. Where they got all the Sonic characters like dancing to like Baby Shark and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing Eggman get jealous because Sonic is is stealing the attention for his baby shark dance. That's the cutest thing in the world. But um, regardless, Sonic Chronicles is too hard for what it is. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not saying it's impossible to beat. I've beaten the game. But what I'm saying is when you get to your first boss fight with the SWAT bots and you have Rouge and Tails in your party and so many of your attacks are missing. Like, the game just started. And Sonic and Tails are just missing all of their attacks. Missing all of their attacks. And you have to use status conditions. And you can't screw up the stylus minigames. Like, compare that to the Hammer Bros fight from Mario RPG. And it's like night and day. Like, the Hammer Bros are easy first bosses in Mario RPG. You just have to, like jump on them and beat on them, and your attacks are likely never going to miss. Whereas the SWAT bot in Sonic Chronicles, your, your attacks miss all the freaking time, because for whatever reason, their accuracy is shit, and they hit hard, and you have to do your status ailments correctly, and I just think, like, this is not how you get kids into an RPG. It's too challenging. It's too, like, restrictive, and forcing them to correctly do the stylus minigames and if you screw it up at all, in any capacity, the move just fails and doesn't activate? Like, that's not good for a kid's game. Come on. Like... Sonic Chronicles also has really horrible music, and there was that awkward situation, uh, if I recall, that, like, some of the music had to be redone into, like, um, a different MIDI file or whatever. I forget exactly what the situation was. Maybe someone in the comments can, like, elaborate. But Sonic Chronicles has really awful music. And why would you want to expose your kid to that versus playing Mario RPG and Yokoshima Moore's music who did an amazing <laughs> bomb-ass job with this soundtrack? Oh, my right? gosh. Right? Oh, my goodness. She cooked. She cooked so hard that my house burned down and I am recording this outside. Okay, no, I was just exaggerating but the point is, is that she did an amazing job with the soundtrack because oh my gosh <laughs> so good yeah yoko shimamura did a soundtrack for the original and she does all the remixes for the new one and even just like the map theme like mm -hmm. when you go from like place to place and it used to be 
Like that's all it was. It was a very quick loop and it's very like soft spoken and whatever. But like in the remake, it's that with like a big orchestra. And when it gets to the second loop of the song, it doesn't just like just do it again. All of a sudden you hear like music echoing in the background like it's a Kingdom Hearts game, you know? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, they add layers to the soundtrack that just make it so heavenly and magical. It's like, the world map theme sounds amazing, even though it, it wasn't that amazing in the original, you know? I'm telling you, and I tweeted this, Yokoshimamura with the original game was one thing, but 20 years of Kingdom Hearts experience, bring that over to the <laughs> remake, game changer. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because it's not like, it's not just... Oh, they updated the music. It's like she adds all these different variations to every single song. Like the battle theme is probably a minute long in the original. It just loops over and over again. Mm -hmm. But in the remake, the second loop will be different instruments. The third loop will be different instruments. Like it's three or four loops of varying degrees where all of a sudden now the song sounds bouncy and joyful. Now the song sounds intense and... It, it it never really repeats itself too much, because even if you're in a very long battle, the song is still surprising you with new elements to it, which is amazing. Um, I was most impressed with uh, Booster Hill. Yes. Because there's this moment where Booster kidnaps Princess Peach, and you have to chase him while trying to run into her so you can get flowers, and the snippets yeah. are chasing you. And I always loved that song. It was always amazing in the Super Nintendo. Always. But in the remake, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> really good stuff. Just the big band, like all the trumpets. And and the ending made me emotional too. Like I always loved the um the ending credits theme song and hearing that updated was also just like, oh my god, they they, they get it. They nailed it. Oh, you no, know? I, no, I was crying, man. I was like a mess. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Really beautiful music. Uh. I also like a lot of the CG interstitials that they have now where yeah. it used to be just be done in game and it wasn't like anything special or amazing. Like when Peach joins the party, she drops out of her, her bedroom window with a parasol and in the original, it's just her sprite with a parasol floating down and landing next to you. <laughs> yeah. But in the remake, it's this whole thing where everyone's there and they look up and Peach is waving to him and she jumps out and everyone's shocked. And it's this whole production. I mean, Gino's, Gino's awakening is really, really good in the mm -hmm. remake. Yeah. Because they really sell the fact that he doesn't know how to walk. I understood that was what was happening in the original, but... It just feels like he just runs into the wall for no reason, you know? Yeah. Here, you can see his legs wobble, and you can see his arms flailing, and you can see him just, like, sort of stumble and knock into the table. And I, I just, again, combined with the beautiful music, it was just a magical friggin' scene that got me emotional for no reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's an amazing game. It's an easy game. You're, you're going to blow through this. I looked at... Um, Keep in mind, I'm very familiar with this game, so I knew where all the secrets and stuff were. Um, I got to the smithy. I got to the final boss in eight hours. 
Okay. Eight hours. Yeah, it's, it's definitely on the shorter <laughs> end. I don't mind, though. It didn't waste my time. I had lots of fun. The music's amazing. The, the dialogue is incredible. This is my favorite Mario RPG, personally. You know? Like, I, I love Paper Mario, and I love Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, but this has always been my go-to uh, Mario RPG. I just think it's magical, and, it, and it's pure joy. In the same way that Mario Brothers Wonder was pure joy, this is also an RPG that's just pure joy. I had a big smile on my face the whole time I was playing it, and that's, that's really the best thing about Mario lately, is that every time you play a Mario game, you're smiling the whole way through. It's happiness. And that's what gaming should be, right? Yeah! So get it! Yes, please get it. Mario RPG is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I would have to pl I want to play the Thousand Year Door remake next year when it comes out, because the last time I played Thousand Year Door was, like, <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. And I like that a lot. And oh, it's a great game. Yeah. So... In terms of Mario RPGs, um, Thousand Year Door was always my favorite, but I don't know. RPG remake was amazing. Oh. And you know, that's a great thing, Clement. Don't you love it when people get it right and adaptations are like successful in the sense that the remake plays a great homage and tribute to the original? Doesn't that sound great? It does sound great. I say that because... Um, I don't know if you heard, but there was a new Scott Pilgrim show on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at this. That's a horrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Yes. Oh, thanks to that beautiful segue. Uh, we are now going to talk about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, the new animated series on Netflix, the Scott Pilgrim anime that has come out like 13 years after the movie, after the video game, after the books, because all of that stuff ended in 2010. And now we're here we are in 2023 with new Scott Pilgrim material. And um, like I said before in the intro, uh, this is going to be spoilery. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna go to the, a different topic uh, after, after uh, Mario RPG, but I'll just say we have timestamps in the video, and you can skip through. Okay, obviously, if you're listening to this on Spotify or whatever, uh, I will insert my audio telling you what number you should skip to. Okay, so you should skip to the one hour fifteen minute mark, and then we'll be done talking about this. But you can't really talk about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off without talking about its main twist. No, 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 you can't. You cannot. <laughs> because, like, the trailers and all of the promotional material for this anime really just depict it as it's Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but now as in an eight-episode anime series. You know, it's just a, a nice little mini-series using the style of the comic, using the art style of the comic, with the actors of the movie and the music from the game. It's got Anamanaguchi doing the soundtrack for the anime, which is like, that whole, that whole setup, that whole, it's an amalgamation of everything Scott Pilgrim is, from the novel to the movie to the game. Yep. 
combined into one package. So of course I was excited when I heard this was going to be a thing. And you watch the first episode and yeah, it it's very much treading the same waters, you know? It's Scott meeting Ramona and Scott working up the nerve to be with her even though he's dating a high schooler, which I didn't know I didn't know that was frowned upon. Uh oh, wow, really? <laughs> Who knew? Who oh, knew? Wow. No shit. <laughs> Gosh. The first episode feels like a truncated version of the events of the book and movie, and there are some twists and changes here and there, like instead of talking about Pac-Man to Ramona, <laughs> this time he talks about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> he specifically talks about how there were two Sonic shows in the 90s with different premises and different casts of characters, but they were both surprisingly voiced by the same actor. Isn't that Yeah. And this may or may not be foreshadowing for later. But anyway. Can you believe an actor is playing two versions of the same character? That's weird. Whoa! <laughs> wild! <laughs> but otherwise, it pretty much follows exactly how the movie and book went. You know, he, he manages to get Ramona over to his house via Netflix's delivery service and the subspace highway. It's because, you know, we got to show Netflix. <laughs> yeah. They go on a date, they visit the playground, and he sleeps over at her place, and now they're going to the rocket to watch the sex bomb play, and Knives is there, and he's still dating Knives, and it's this awkward situation, and then he finds out that Ramona has a league of evil exes. She has seven exes who all have been jilted by her, who all want revenge, and want to make sure that whoever she dates next has to defeat them in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Which is, again, very unrealistic series. Of course, a lot of this is metaphorical and allegorical, and, you know, you're not meant to take everything at face value. It's a very wacky series uh, where people die and they explode into coins because it's like a video game. I expect nothing less from Canada. Yeah, oh, and it's set in Toronto. It's a, it's <laughs> a Canadian it's a Canadian character in a Canadian world, and uh, you know I might have identified with it a little a little hard <laughs> in 2010 when I uh, saw the movie. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is like my favorite movie ever. Like, I I don't say that as hyperbole. I don't say that as exaggeration. Like, I have two favorite movies. One is American Psycho with Christian Bale. I love that movie. I don't identify with him. <laughs> I just, uh. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> I just want to make it clear. I don't identify with Patrick Bateman. I don't think I am him or want to be him. <laughs> I, thank you for the disclaimer. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> but uh, the other is Scott Pilgrim. And I think I said this in the Scott Pilgrim Let's Play because I did do a Let's Play of the game. And I just love that movie. And I watched it earlier this month, uh, having seen the anime, and it still holds up. It's still my favorite movie. I still think of how good it is as a live-action anime. They make live-action animes all the time, especially on Netflix, like your Cowboy Bebops and One Pieces. Mm -hmm. And I heard One Piece was good. But the action scenes look like they were pulled straight out of an anime, just the way Scott would uppercut people and pa 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 do combo moves and it's just it's such a good kung fu movie it's such a good comedy it's one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my yep. life 
There's that moment where um, Knives is going to visit Scott. Wallace opens the door. Scott is clearly in the background. <laughs> he runs to the side. Wallace goes, oh, uh, you know what? Scott dives through the fucking window. Boom! <laughs> Loudest noise you could possibly think of. There's no way you could mistake it. And then he just goes, uh, he just left. <laughs> <laughs> he gets me every time. Oh, really so does. funny. The cinematography is awesome in that movie and the way that, like, they framed particular, like, shots is awesome. Like, one of my favorites is um, when Knives is trying to, like, dress more like Ramona and you get the shot of her at the store with, like, all the different hair colors and paints, oh, like, all so in a particular, like, rainbow. Like, the intention of framing those shots was there and Edgar Wright did a great job just, like, piecing that whole movie together. And oh, yeah. my experience with Scott Pilgrim started with the movie. So I saw the movie first. Um, I saw the movie, I think, a year after it came out. Um, and then from there, I was like, oh, my God, this movie's, like, absolutely amazing. I gotta get more into the series. So then we got the comics. And then um, I didn't actually get to play the game until a couple of years ago. Because by the time I tried to play the game, it was delisted. <laughs> yeah which yeah. was a horrible thing for a long while but it was re-released a couple of years ago so i finally got to play it on switch and it was awesome and it, yeah and that game's not my favorite game of all time but it is one of the greatest fucking games of that generation i just think yes anamanaguchi's soundtrack really mm -hmm. elevated that thing and paul robertson sprites and it was a decent beat-em-up like Jesus, lightning in a bottle. Like, I don't think even Ubisoft were expecting that game to be as good as it was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, regardless, the, the point of all the spiel is that I love the movie so much that I've seen it a million times. And so with the first episode, I wasn't really feeling it that much. Yeah. Because it was recapping the events of both the movie and the novel. But it just didn't have the same energy as the movie, and it just felt like it was retelling the same jokes. And obviously, all the actors who are portraying the characters are from the movie. Like, it's Michael Sarah, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, it's Allison Pill, it's friggin' Kieran Culkin, it's everybody who is in the movie. Fucking Chris Evans, Brie Larson, yeah, this is before Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. she was Envy Adams. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, everybody's back, but now they're doing voiceover, and now they're doing these anime characters, and some of them do a very great job voice acting, and some are a little wooden. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I actually found young Neil kind of awkward in his delivery. Um, I like the character and what he was doing, but I just think that the actor who plays young Neil didn't translate that hyperactive energy that he's supposed to have whereas my whitman who is a voice actress in her own yeah. right did an amazing job as roxy richter like holy you can shit tell which actors had like prior experiences with like voice acting before because like with you know may whitman she's been in a lot of stuff she's katara and avatar yeah so like she's had experience with this so that was something it does get better throughout the series but that was something that i had to get used to in the first episode and in my experience with the first episode, we're talking about that. Um, I thought things were moving like pretty quickly. It was like, okay, okay, we're here now. Okay, we're there now. Okay, we're there now. But 
you have eight, eight episodes to tell the story of the show, so I guess you have to move things a little quicker, was my logic. Yeah. It does actually get to the Matthew Patel fight quicker than the movie does. So everything's kind of hustling along really quickly, and it feels like a abridged version of everything. And at first, I wasn't sure if I was really digging it all that much. I was like, well, if it's just going to retell the same story, but not as good as the movie, eh, mm -hmm. I wish they would slow down and go into the other aspects of the book and do these things and do all these other things. But, but then the twist happens. And again, spoilers. <laughs> if you're here, it's spoiler city. Matthew Patel wins the fight and he kills Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott dies. <laughs> <laughs> he dead. I'm expecting like Scott to win this fight. He's like, oh, it's only Matthew Patel. You know, he's got, oh, oh, he's, he's dead. Oh, no. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> I guess you could say Scott Pilgrim took off. Yeah, the title's literal. The title is very it's literal. It's a literal title. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about that is, again, the Netflix trailers, all the advertising, like, Scott Pilgrim is front and center. Even the opening of the friggin' show, which happens in every episode, is so focused on Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he takes up so much screen time in the opening of the show, even though he has very little screen time in the show itself, which is kind of funny. What's Netflix going to tell everyone that he dies? No, no, <laughs> no, but it's, it is fascinating. Cause like I, the only time this has ever happened before that I can recall, it's probably happened a lot of times, but it reminds me so much of Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah, because with that game, you know, Metal Gear Solid was this critically acclaimed PlayStation game. Everyone loved the original. It was this huge achievement in gaming. And then they're like, well, here comes the PS2. Here comes Metal Gear Solid 2. And Kojima being the mad fucking wizard that he is, <laughs> he just shows footage of the tanker mission. He shows Snake and Snake and Snake and all the trailers are Snake. And the promotional footage is Snake. And even the box, if you look at the PS2 box, Snake's on the front of the box. And when you look behind on the back to see the images on the back of the box, it's just the tanker mission. It's just Snake and the tanker mission. So you really have no idea that the, the rug's going to be pulled out from under you and that this is actually going to be about Raiden. Yeah. And that Snake is not playable past the first two hours. And I remember the backlash to that. I remember people were so pissed because they were just like, what? I don't want to play as this blonde, you know, idiot. I want to play as Snake. What the fuck? And eventually time has come around on that game because it's such a meta deconstruction and holy shit, the ending where Kojima predicts a lot of things that are going to happen. <laughs> and Predicting now the next it's like two decades of American history. No big deal. <laughs> It, it's a very prophetic, very uh, meta-textual, very subversive experience now. People love MGS2 now, but that wasn't the case in 2001. I remember what people were saying on the forums. I remember the backlash to that. And I understand that uh, a lot of people are upset about this twist, too. But personally, I loved it. Because I thought that the, the episode one was not as good of a rehash of things that have come before. I was happy when it took a new direction. And I would say that like the Scott Pilgrim movie is so freaking good. Yeah. Like it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. 
you can't top that. Like that experience is hard to top and it's hard to just completely overshadow that like you might as well go in a new direction. You might as well do something new, especially if you're already familiar with the books and the movie and why not? Why not do something new and different? And the thing though is that you can never really please anyone because if they did make this Netflix anime a one-to-one adaptation of the comics or the movie or whatever, you would still get a good amount of people saying like, well, they did the same thing again. Why can't they do something original? Like, you can't please anyone. You can't. And like... No. What was, again, I mentioned this earlier, but what was Netflix supposed to do? Was Netflix supposed to like tell you the, the plot twist and the advertising? Because <laughs> they want you to feel the shock experience of that. That ruins a lot of things. Like, I again, I kind of get that someone would be disappointed about how the anime changes direction after the end of that first episode. But the comics and the movie are still there for you to enjoy. You can still read it. You can still watch it. It's It has no bearing on the anime whatsoever. The original story, if that's what you enjoy, is still there. Nothing about the lore has been altered or changed. Yeah. And to me, one of the most important aspects of Scott to me is exploring the different characters. Like, Scott Pilgrim to me is more than just Scott. It's Ramona. It's Kim. It's Knives. It's her exes. It's Gideon. Like, there's so many characters in this media that interact with Scott and have a particular relationship to him that... And we'll talk about this more. I really appreciated that the anime's premise was diving into those interpersonal relationships more. Because it gives me a more, like, fluid and deeper perspective into the world of Scott Pilgrim. And that's the anime's largest strength to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know people are going to make comparisons to, like, well, it's like Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I could see that. Um, but my thing is with Seven Remake and why some might call me a hypocrite is that the original Final Fantasy VII visually has aged not the greatest in comparison to mm -hmm. all the other Final Fantasies out there, you know? Like, I think even Final Fantasy VI holds up a lot better than VII in terms of visuals, because it was, like, early 3D, and I could understand why someone would say, like, that story needs to be presented better. That story needs to have a better presentation, a better everything. Yeah. But when you compare that to, like, uh, Scott Pilgrim or even Evangelion, which Evangelion had sort of a a, a meta-narrative uh, crazy update show that changed things about the game, about the, the anime. The thing is, the original Evangelion looks great. It still looks great. It's still, and you can just dub over that footage with new actors and it's still Evangelion and it's still amazing. It doesn't need to be remade because it's there and it exists. And it's great where Scott Pilgrim, the movie and the books, they're there and they're perfect. They're perfect as they are. You can't top it. There's no improvement to be had. So I really don't see the point of just redoing it again when it's already kind of peak fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's my distinction between why FF7's remake. It could be disappointing to people compared to how I did not care at all in regards to Scott Pilgrim or Evangelion or anything like that, because 
Scott Pilgrim's already peak. The only way you could go <laughs> was down. So yeah. we this is a better way to handle it, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. And right off the bat, the show started getting a lot better anyway, because, like, it starts off with Scott's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, episode two, you write, you get into Scott's funeral right away, and then everyone's there, and then Ramona walks in, and it's so awkward. And then um, Envy Adams shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and she does this amazing cover of, uh, I think, I Will Remember You. I think that's the song yeah. title, but... It's a great cover. It's awesome. It's so good. And again, it just gave me the, the heebie-jeebies because I was thinking about like Black Sheep from the original film and just like hearing more of Clash at Demon Head singing songs, more of Envy Adams singing songs was just like, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Uh, they have a fun twist where because Matthew Patel took out Scott Pilgrim, he gets this confidence and this arrogance to be like, dude, Ramona didn't end up with me. <laughs> and... I beat Scott Pilgrim. I'm better than you, Gideon. And so he challenges Gideon and he does win. He becomes yeah. the leader of the League of Evil Exes, uh, leading to Gideon's downfall and for him to hook up with Julie, which gives us an entirely new backstory to the character that we've never heard in the books or movie. Gideon Graves is not his original name. He's actually Gordon Goose. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Goose. From North Bay, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the idea of him having previously dated Julie and then them reconciling and rekindling their relationship, like, what a perfect pairing, you know? Oh, yeah, they're great. <laughs> you feel like Brian Lee O'Malley was, like, conceiving of, like, which characters would pair well together in Scott Pilgrim. And he's like, you know what? Julie and Gideon would actually really love each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They both hate Scott equally. They both hate Scott as so much that they would just be destined to be. And it's like stuff like that where it's you can't just say that like they worthlessly like put this adaptation together or like the author had no vision or no intent of like I don't know caring about these characters. That's one piece of discourse that I saw like online and I'm like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. No. Um, because when you've had a piece of media that you've cared for a couple number of decades now, like I think Scott turns 20 next year, if the series came out in 2004, it's going to be 2024, like I would imagine, and I'm not someone that like has created long form pieces of media, but I do have an attachment to like different franchises, but I would imagine that you think about not only how your character's would interact with others that might not have been represented in the canon media, but also how your own perspectives have changed over the years, because we're not the same person all the time. We grow and mature. Yeah. And I think a lot of Scott Pilgrim takes off is also kind of like a commentary of how Brian Lee O'Malley has changed, you know? Absolutely. And also even the point of the books and movie was that like, we didn't know how Scott and Ramona were going to turn out. We don't know how adulthood truly is going to be for them. We only know, like, the growing pains of becoming adults. And when they disappear into that subspace door and they go into the white void and we never see them again, we, don't, we can only use our imaginations to wonder how they turn out. You know, they don't necessarily stay together. They could break up. 
they could we don't know what's going to happen but at least they're going to try and find out at least they're willing to give it a shot instead of running away from their problems which is reflective of both of their characters and that's the thing i also like about the anime was that like because scott's gone ramona's the main character so when she's confronting the evil exes it offers a window into their relationship and why it fell through instead of just being like oh ramona ditched me and now i'm evil like what what happened there and how much of the blame does ramona deserve how much uh how much of the evilness and and shittiness is truly part of the character you know there's so many questions you could ask about these relationships and i just think it's more interesting that now it's Ramona confronting her past in a much more proactive way, as opposed to Scott is having to deal with Ramona's history and how that makes him feel, you know? Which is something I appreciate that the animated, not only as like a Ramona fan myself, because I love Ramona, it's like she's doing the change versus Scott having to like, it's to get it, you know? Yeah. And also it just fuels into why those two are made for each other and why they gravitate towards one another, you know? Like, in the same way that Scott treated Envy and Kim and all of his previous exes kind of shitty, too, now we get Ramona's side, and we realize that, like, yeah, she wasn't fair to Roxy Richter. Yeah, she wasn't fair to Lucas, who she cheated on with Todd, you know? Like, they actually go into how she was kind of a... It's like she says in the movie. She's dabbled at being a bitch. <laughs> you know? Yep. But how much? <laughs> we see. But how much? The action scenes are amazing. Like, Matthew Patel fighting Gideon was incredible. I love when the next episode starts up and we get to see Lucas Lee skateboarding around. Like, I thought the animation of oh, Lucas yeah, skateboarding was around was so friggin' cool. It and amazing. it was so much more interesting than anything that was going on in episode one. It's just a really cool looking show and also a very funny show. I, I died laughing. I bust a gut laughing at Wallace Wells hijacking the movie version of the Scott Pilgrim story. <laughs> yes. Directed by Edgar Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he hijacks the, the film... So that Scott is now making out with Wallace Wells. Yeah. <laughs> and just that that line like, uh, we got to go over our lines and then cut to the trailer rocking back yeah. and forth. <laughs> we should go over our lines. Rock and rock. <laughs> that made me die laughing. That was so funny. Yes. Absolutely. I also appreciated... Nice's portrayal too. Like I love how they take her character from like the beginning to like the end of the show. Yeah. I just thought like her arc was very beautifully done. I thought it was a natural progression when like Scott's out of the picture and she, what does she do? She ends up joining the band. She ends up becoming yeah. a member of Sex Babam. <laughs> she was such a yeah. fangirl and she was so obsessed with their music that she it came to her naturally because she's seen them perform it so many times, you know. That's how it be sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun dynamics. You know, we get to see Gideon in a whole new way. We get to see Roxy and Lucas and Todd in a whole new way. It's also as sort of a soft reboot. It's sort of a soft sequel because we then find out that the reason Scott disappeared, he wasn't killed. 
He was mm -mm. abducted. He was transported with a magical portal at the end of the Matthew Patel fight to the future by himself, <gasps> by an older Scott Pilgrim, because uh, Ramona and Scott did not work out. Oh. And Scott becomes very distant and very, like... In a way, he becomes the eighth evil ex, when you think about it. Yeah. I'd say that's accurate. <laughs> Instead of just, like, assuming that they went through a rough patch, he assumes the relationship is off and just becomes bitter about it and wants to erase their history so that they never met ever. <laughs> but somehow, even though Scott is in the future, Ramona still finds a way to connect the dots and still ends up becoming uh, infatuated with Scott Pilgrim. Because, you know, they share so much in common and love knows no bounds and all that jazz. But it, it was just fun that in the final fight, you get to see that the Ramona's character development and Ramona realizing how her relationships with her exes and thus her relationship with this new Scott Pilgrim in the future that she will eventually make all of the characters strive to be better people so that they don't end up like these future versions of themselves. And uh, it's just a nice finale, you know? It's just a nice finale of holding on to your convictions and not making the same mistakes you did in the past that you do yeah, today. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good lesson. I like, I like how this series... Um, ended with their last episode i thought it was more of an upbeat note um unfortunately i think brian said on twitter that like um the show's most likely not going to be um greenlit for a second season which is why they ended the um show the way that they did in the last episode but there is like still that ambiguous ending in case they do get that clearance yeah and, you know, I'd be fine with it just ending here. Like, at least it's not ending on a crazy cliffhanger that's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And Netflix canceled it. <laughs> Still bitter about everything sucks. How dare they? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought it was great. I, I don't think it tops the movie, but it was really great. It was really, really awesome. I love a lot of things about this. Not perfect, obviously, but, like, it's it's everything that I could have wanted from a um, different take on the series. And again, the comics in the movie and the game or whatever are still there for you to enjoy if you really do think that, like, the anime isn't great. But still, I love what we got here. And it's just really lucky that we got this, especially with all of the original cast intact. Because that's so, oh, yeah. like, rare. And the fact that they love the Scott Pilgrim so much to come back and do this, especially with like Chris Evans and Brie Larson with how Ugh. those two have blown up in the last decade. <laughs> Chris Evans still fucking nails it as Lucas Lee. Like he hasn't oh, yeah. missed a beat. I loved Alison Pill as Kim Pine because like she still, when she belts out, we are sex, ba-bomb, one, two, three, four, <laughs> she still got it. It's still the same inflection. It's still the same energy when she does that. And even at the very end, when Knives was fighting older Scott, and she's like, it's time to chow down. It was like, oh, this is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It's like they're they're exactly as they used to be 13 years after the fact. Like, holy shit. So, yeah, 
Go watch Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. I had to renew my Netflix subscription just to watch this, but it was worth it. Yes. Another recommendation. Watch the show as soon as you can. I guess now I'll have to catch up on Sonic Prime since I've only seen season one. You do, because the new season comes out in January. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you technically have two seasons to catch up on. If you don't oh, know. God. So much catching up to do. <laughs> You know what else I have to get caught up on? Because there's so much lore. Oh no. Is it the lore of um, wrestling? No, no. I, I That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, Caro, I have to get caught up on the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> because oh, yeah, I've that. only played the original game i've only played that first game that viral sensation that pewdiepie and markiplier and everybody played back in the day that spawned this gigantic franchise which eventually came into existence a movie that came to theaters and uh, i live in a small town i live in a small town and our movie theater has been basically defunct for a long long time but just recently they started getting licenses to show movies again. Perfect timing in 2023 when movie cinemas are dying. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy because one of the first movies they showed was Five Nights at Freddy's. And even though I've only played the first game and I don't give a goddamn about the lore, I wanted to see this movie. Yeah, I'm about in the same place as you are regarding lore. I only have experience with the first game. And then I lived with someone for a while that was a big Five Nights fan, so I kind of got, like, bits and pieces of, like, the lore and the characters from him. And then I've really only ever seen the movie. Um, so Five Nights came out when I was going into college. It was the summer after I graduated high school. And I was going into college at the time. So, like, I was at the weird cusp because, like, I could have been into Five Nights if I had dived in a little bit more, but I was also at the age where I could have been disengaged with it at the same time. Yeah. I got the viral sensation. I got why people loved it. I understood yeah. why everyone was gushing about it, but I played the first game and I was just sort of like, I'm good. I think I, I think I get it, but it's just really not a series for me, you know? No. <laughs> I think I think all you need to do is play the first one to understand that like it's just about checking monitors and checking for inconsistencies and trying to make sure that your doors are locked when the animatronics start moving around, you know. And that's Five Nights at Freddy's. But how do you take that crazy concept and apply that to a movie? <laughs> well, the premise is still stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think the premise is really, really dumb. Yeah. But I think, honestly, all things considered, again, I'm not a huge on the lore, but if you're going to adapt that franchise and put this into a movie, I think this is like probably the best case scenario that uh, fans could hope for, honestly. Like, it could have been much worse. It could have been like absolutely nothing like Five Nights, like a lot of 
video game adaptations tended to be like in the 90s and 2000s but i think we live in an age now where and we've definitely have talked about it on this podcast before but there have been a lot more faithful adaptations to video games and if they're not faithful at least they try to like capture some sense of like the media they're adapting from and i think five nights continues in that trend like if you're a five nights fan and you're super into this like media franchise the common consensus that i saw was that a lot of people really love this movie because of the easter eggs and all the hints and stuff so that's what you want to accomplish so on those merits alone the movie is great for that yeah like i actually saw a lot of behind the scenes uh like footage of this movie on like online on youtube and stuff and i was actually impressed because like the animatronics like freddy fazbear himself and all them are very very accurate to the games yeah. like they look very identical to how they're supposed to look in the games and they're not a cg recreation they're not some cg thing on a blue screen that the actors are, are reacting to no they built that shit Yep. And the actors are in the room with it. Like they're actually experiencing Chica and Foxy and all these crazy animatronics in real time. And it's, it's, it, it looks the part, you know, it does look the part, the actual pizza place that this Freddy Fazbear is supposed to be. It does feel like a real uh, dilapidated pizza place. It feels like a place kids would have actually gone to. And I was actually surprised how seriously this movie took itself, you know? Yeah. I mean, the premise of the lore, as far as I know, is that children died and their spirits became the, the bodies in the pizza place. Like, children are occupying the bodies of Freddy Fazbear and all them. So, yeah, when you're dealing with child death and child abductions and children getting murdered by a fucking nut job, uh, I guess you have to handle that somewhat seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they had this actually pretty good, strong primary characters. You know, you got this one guy, our security guard, Josh Hutcherson, and uh, he's got a little sister that he's trying to take care of, but he's also kind of a deadbeat who can't hold a job. He loses his first job in the very beginning of the movie because he attacks a dad was being somewhat abusive to his son <laughs> so he thought oh, yeah. that like he was abducting him because he's like he's reliving this trauma of like his brother disappeared his brother he couldn't find and he's been gone his whole life and he didn't want that to happen again as this security guard but then he ends up beating the crap out of an innocent person mm -hmm. and so looking for employment he finds matthew lillard Good old Matthew Lillard. Yes, Matthew Lillard. <laughs> One of the most underappreciated actors of the 90s and 2000s. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, again, a dumb premise because he's just like, okay, well, you know, I got this job for you and you just have to watch over this pizza place at night, this abandoned pizza place at night and just watch the monitors every day. And I don't know. I think it's kind of a goofy fucking premise, even in real life. Like... Sure, set up security cameras if you're trying to protect it, but the idea that this guy has to keep going into this abandoned place and there's nobody else there, you know, nobody's checking up on him, nobody's ringing him up or calling him or anything, like, he's not giving reports to anybody, it's like, it's accurate to the games, but it doesn't make much sense in the reality of what the fuck's happening. 
And see, I like Josh Hutcherson. He's a good actor. He was Pete in the Hunger Games. And going back a little bit further into my childhood, he is one of the main characters in Bridge to Terabithia, if you have seen that movie. Oh, yeah, he was. I remember yes. that. So that movie made me cry. But, you know, I like him. <laughs> so I thought he did a good job here. Yeah. And I like that, like, it, it, it was accurate to the title. It was Five Nights at Freddy's. You do yes. see this guy going through five nights at this pizza place. And there are fun twists about the story. It's not just a guy looking at monitors. You know, something very interesting happens in the halfway point that I thought was uh, intriguing. Mm -hmm. And it, it's certainly better than just, like, combing through bits of lore in the games themselves, which always felt like an exercise in, like, you know how Undertale would hide, like, cryptic stuff in the game? And, yeah. like, it was always a viral thing when people found out, like, oh, man, I, I found out about this guy in Undertale that nobody knows about, <laughs> this yeah. this mm -hmm. gaster fellow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's all Five Nights at Freddy's is. That's why Matt Pat, who's in the movie, Game <laughs> yeah, Theory Man... <laughs> That's why he got such a big career, because he was like, I've analyzed these these text files and these images, and I found out this crazy lore that nobody knows of, and blah, blah, blah. I, I think this story is better told in this format. It's better told with these characters and the situation they find themselves in. Although it is a very predictable movie, because it's like, they keep going on and on about this serial killer who killed all these children, killed these children. And it's like, okay... Who would be old enough that when Josh Hutcherson's character was a boy and his brother was abducted would still be around? Well, it's probably not the uh, young policewoman. Well, it's probably not his sister. It's probably not his evil aunt, who I doubt is a serial killer just because she's one of those characters. <laughs> <laughs> but there is Matthew Lillard. Uh -huh. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. Do you I think Matthew Lillard's the if, bad guy? I don't know. I wonder if there's anything suspicious about <laughs> Uh This movie's like PG-13, so it's not like a gore fest. Although there was one gory death, but like, that was about it. Everything else is sort of like implied. Like, a, like the first kill in the movie is this one security guard, and you see that his face is going to get mangled by these buzz saws and stuff, but we never see it. We just hear him screaming for his life and stuff, and... uh you know, there are moments in this movie that it's still just a lot of dry, nothing happening, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, I don't think it's like, if you're looking for gore, this isn't the movie. If you're looking for crazy tons of suspense, I think the last half of this movie, there's not much suspense because things are just sort of out in the open and happening as they are. So I don't know. I, I was in the theater with a bunch of Five Nights at Freddy's fans who were reacting to a lot of the reveals and stuff like when the villain came out at the very end they were just like oh it's spring trap it's spring trap <laughs> yeah they were they were going off about that in the theater and i think it's a pretty good adaptation it's not one of my favorite movies ever and i don't even think it's again i'm not, I'm not that big into five nights at freddy's though but then personally. again i don't think we're I don't think we're the audience that's intended for it either. Like, I know they put it up on streaming services, but clearly, like, a lot of people, again, have enjoyed this movie if they're, like, big fans of the series, get a lot more out of it if they understand, like, a lot of, like, the Easter eggs and references that are thrown in there. But it's still, yeah. like, 
a fun time on its own, I think. Uh, it's faithful. And, you know, yes. that's, that's you can important. be dumb as long as you're faithful. Because <laughs> I already think the game's premise is kind of goofy and it's kind of silly because, you know, if you're in threat of death, I don't care how much they're paying you or how little or how much you need money. You are not going to stay in there past day one. All right. <laughs> if the threat of death is real, give me a break. <laughs> Why wouldn't you call the cops or tell someone? Why wouldn't yeah. when you leave and you come back for day two? Why wouldn't you say like there are fucking ghosts controlling the an <laughs> well, not ghosts, but the animatronics are trying to kill me. <laughs> we should dismantle these. See, that's why am I taking logic. care of a dilapidated place that no one's going to resurrect or bring back? I don't understand. Well, Clement, it's fiction. This isn't the real world. You're using real world <laughs> logic. <laughs> I know, silly me. Silly me for taking this premise so seriously. But, you know, it's a faithful adaptation. The, it looks like the games, like the animatronics look good. It, it's apparently pretty damn accurate to the lore. Like, even I was doing, like, a little wiki search of the lore in the games themselves, and it's pretty damn identical. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like it is a, an authentic Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And that's why I say, like, this is the best case scenario that this movie could possibly be. Yeah. Like, it is pretty damn good. It is pretty, for what it is, it's a great faithful adaptation, and Matthew Lillard is fantastic in it, Josh Hutcherson does a good job in it, and there is heart behind it. I'm not going to say that, like, it's just a crappy cash grab, like, it kind of is, in the sense of it is trying to profit off this video game, but, like, they took it seriously, and they wanted to appeal to the fans of the series, and they got, you know, Matt Pat and these other YouTubers who did live streams and videos for the subject matter. Apparently Markiplier was supposed to be in it, but scheduling conflicts got in the way. Yeah. Like they did the research. They did the research. They made it authentic. They made it look like it was supposed to. And that's the plot of what it's supposed to be. And again, best case scenario, honestly, it really is. I, I was surprised though, a series that is so predominantly focused on its jump scares. And there's like hardly, any other than that fucking that one balloon doll that Josh Hutcherson kept running into. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of jump scares in this movie, and um you know, it's good. It does the job. As a as a non hardcore Five Nights at Freddy's fan, I I was I thought it was pretty darn good. So check it out if you have any interest in Five Nights at Freddy's or if you care at all about Five Nights at Freddy's and you've been skipping out on it because you're like, oh, that movie adaptation is going to be crap. Uh, no, it's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good yeah. in relation to what it, excuse me, pretty damn good in relation to what it was. It is good stuff, y'all. But it's stupid. <laughs> but its premise is stupid it's so stupid <laughs> and now finally Caro the last topic of the day we'll go back to something we were talking about last month because uh, last month Spider-Man 2 came out for the Sony PlayStation 5 and uh, we gave our brief thoughts on it but I thought this time it would be more interesting to actually go into the nitty gritty because uh, now we've both beaten it. Yes. And we could talk about the plot and a lot of the developments that happen in it, 
as well as any new issues or, you know, anything new we have to say about Spider-Man 2. Yeah, so um, I finished Spider-Man 2 a few weeks ago, and it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. Stuck the landing. Um, in short, this is absolutely my game of the year. So I thought it was very, very well done. Damn, it overtook and Final Fantasy 16. It overtook Final Fantasy 16. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It is just so impactful. I love a lot of the character moments in this game. And, like, everything that I praised in the last episode got even better. So that was great for me. Um, I had to adjust some of the accessibility settings on my end, though, because, unfortunately, um, I got a second-degree burn on my wrist last month. Oh, yeah. Um, and I had to adjust some of the settings in this game to make it easier for me to play and beat it while I was recovering. I'm all good now. Like, um, it's as if it's not even there anymore, but like a few weeks ago, that wasn't the case. So yeah, props to Spider-Man 2 for like having very, very deep accessibility settings for difficulty and control. More games should do that. Yeah, it's always been the king of that. You know, if you don't want to do QTEs, you can turn off QTEs. If you want the, if you're colorblind and you want the colors to be depicted a certain way, if you want certain enemies to shine more clearly, if you want the the reaction of your spidey sense and when you dodge things to be a lot easier and not so tight, you know, there are so many things you can toggle about this game to make it exactly how you want it to be. And they've even got this easy difficulty where you cannot die. Like, they can punch you and punch you as much as you want, and <laughs> you just cannot die. So if you just want to enjoy the story uh, and see Spider-Man get his fucking head knocked in, uh, <laughs> then that's an option for you. <laughs> um, I do have quibbles about certain things about its design. And I don't know if these things are going to come in later with a patch, but I did notice going back to like the original and Miles Morales, um, the UI in the main menu is kind of lacking. Like mm -hmm. in Miles Morales, you had character profiles and character uh, biographies and like you could see like the, the model of the character. Uh, there was that social media like Spidey social media, where you could see what all the New Yorkers are saying about the situation. Um, you could actually re-listen to all the old J. Jonah Jameson and Danacast podcasts that you listen to when you're swinging around. And Spider-Man 2, for whatever reason, completely drops all of that. They don't let you listen to any of the podcasts over. They don't let you look at the character viewers. They don't let you do any of the things you could do in the previous games which I don't understand why it's like that. And maybe with a patch, they're going to add all those things back in. Um, yeah. But it was something that I took notice of because I was like, oh, it feels kind of uh, empty by comparison. Yeah. And maybe a few people will prefer how many options you had in the original Spider-Man because Spider-Man had a lot more gadgets in the original and a lot more suit-specific abilities. Like when you wear the classic suit, you can shoot this big tornado of webbings that can stick people to walls and with the iron man suit the iron spider suit you could get the the iron claw things out which are just like default in spider-man 2 now yeah and there are a lot of different things you could do depending on the suit uh that 
you know, added a lot more customization and a lot more versatility um, compared to Spider-Man 2, which has definitely streamlined everything so that now everything is mapped to a face button. Like, you can only have four abilities on at a time. Instead of having to open up, like, a weapon wheel, you have four face abilities, triangle, square, circle, X, and whatever you set to those face buttons is what you're going to have, and you can't switch it out in the middle of a fight. So it's streamlined, it's quicker, um, and there are a lot of awesome tools in this game. The combat's still as good as ever, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But... I imagine there's going to be some people who are just like, yeah, but why can't I do this ability and that ability? What happened to Spider-Man's shotgun fucking webbing blast where you could just like immediately shoot a guy to a wall? What happened to this ability? What happened to that ability? What happened to the ability? And yeah, for sure. There's, there are things about this game that are definitely streamlined and definitely not as in-depth as previous Spider-Man games could be. But, uh, Overall, the game is still super fun, and the SSD making fast travels so quick and making New York so fucking lively and so crystal clear expansive, like, oh my god. Those, them SSDs, man. That's quick. I could be, like, on one half of the city, and then I could, like warp to Manhattan, and then, like, I'm there in, like, two seconds. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. It's amazing. I love it. I'm surprised my PS5 didn't explode. The game still has all these incredible friggin' set pieces, whether it's, like, Spider-Man has a flashback of him and Harry sneaking through the high school. Oh, that was great. Yeah. So, like, you're dodging janitors and you're climbing around all these classrooms and going through events and stuff, and that was really cool. Um, I love that moment where they go to Coney Island to uh, oh, for, like, yeah. amusement park stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's so many games you can play. There's, like, Whack-A-Mole and, you know, you shoot into the, the clown with the balloon and stuff like that. And, like, most of the games that you can play in the carnival aren't, like, mandatory, but if you like good character moments, they're all there for you to play, and that's what I did. And this game is all about its characters. What did you think of Harry Osborn? Oh, my poor boy. Oh. <laughs> my poor boy. This boy poor Harry. Poor Harry. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm so shocked that um, Peter and Harry did not have a good ending shocked (laughs) flabbergasted even i thought the emily may foundation was going to be totally fine and not have two crazy superhero battles take place at that building that's the thing (laughs) two battles this building gets demolished like twice (laughs) i'm like isn't that enough my lab's already destroyed why did you bring him back oh see see it's they did it two times he said because they have to do one destruction for emily and one destruction for may Oh, ah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, I thought the relationship with Harry was pretty darn good. Pretty darn. Because like, him and Peter are like the best of bros. And uh, it's just so fun seeing them bounce off of each other. And also, I like the, the, the transition of having uh, the symbiote suit bonded to Harry as opposed to bonded to, like, Eddie Brock or Flash yeah. Thompson or whoever it is in the comics. Uh, this time it's Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn is the guy with the symbiote in this version of Spider-Man. It makes the relationship feel more personal, like that whole plot. Yeah. It's like, it's not just one person that's, like, 
bought it to the symbiote. It's your best friend. It's your guy. And the game is already established and does a good job of establishing how close these two are leading up to that moment. So, like, it's very effective there. And it's like, usually Harry is a super-powered individual vis-a-vis the goblin tech. And usually he's, like, the new goblin and usually a villain that way. Um, And I thought it was interesting that, like, at the beginning of the game, he's using the symbiote to emulate Spider-Man. Like... (laughs) Yeah. He, he, he the symbiote models itself after Spider-Man, so it's got like the the weird Spider-Man-y helmet, and it grows like a little Spider-Man symbol at the end of the mission and stuff. And he's just like this weird dude in a big, you know, black body armor. That Spider-Man's like, what the hell? You can do that? You <laughs> <laughs> can you can sustain fire injuries and stuff? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. And. It's just fun. There's that whole mission where they're breaking into the uh, the furnace, the, the foundry, in order to save Tombstone, because Craven the Hunter is kidnapping all of the villains and trying to kill them. And uh, just seeing him and his bro both being superheroes together and both doing crazy combo attacks and quipping and joking about the situation was like super fucking wholesome. And uh, you understood why these two were the best of friends. Yeah, for sure. But then, of course, as we all knew it would, the symbiote leaves Harry and it bonds to Peter, turning him into black suit Spider-Man. Oh, what a suit it is. I love all the symbiote powers. It's wild. Oh, yeah. They they sell, like, power, you know? Because, like, when I play Spider-Man Web of Shadows, to be honest, I always feel like it's just a different play style. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm so much more powerful. I'm so much more badass. I never felt like it was like, oh, the symbiote. I definitely want to play as a symbiote. Whereas in Spider-Man 2, the symbiote powers are so fucking cool. I love that one where, like, you grab every single enemy in front of you, you lift them up, and then you slam them into the ground. Yeah. Like, you could be surrounded by, like, eight guys, nine guys, ten guys, and the tendrils will grab all ten of them. <laughs> all ten of them, lift them up, and pull, slam them into the concrete and make them break their backs and shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love using them. And it just goes like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> And then even later, you can hear your PS5 controller go. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I I didn't see every time I play video games, I always turn the controller speaker off. Oh, no. Um, So if you turn the controller speaker on like I did, you could hear that noises. (laughs) It's kind of like kind of creepy, but I liked it. Does Venom like talk in the microphone of the of the controller? Does like no, does Tony really Todd like noise. say things to Spider-Man in there? Kind of just makes a little groan, but you mostly just hear like the tongue slathers. Okay, okay. Cuz yeah, when I play video games, I always turn my controller speaker off. I also turn rumble off cuz, you know, oh, yeah. I hate when I play a video game and I'm I I'm just I put the controller down on the table to like watch a cutscene or something and then all of a sudden some action happens in the cutscene and it's just like and it just like <laughs> rocks the whole table makes this loud ass noise you know 
Did you happen to have an experience when you were a kid that the rumble was inconvenient enough for you to the point where you had to turn it off? I Many times, many times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my first rumble experience was Star Fox 64 because that game came with a rumble pack and it encouraged you to attach the rumble pack to your controller. And so every time you blew someone up in that game, you know, You'll never defeat Andros! <laughs> Just crazy rumble all over the place, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, just when PS2 and GameCube and all these controllers built in rumble, I just never liked it. Like, I don't care that the controller is shaking when I do things. I, I'm personally, that's not one of those video gaming experiences that I'm desperately clamoring for. So... If I ever have the option, I turn it off. And I rarely play a video game that doesn't have that option. Uh, I, I can't think of anything where the vibration is default on and you can't turn it off. The point is, the symbiote suit is powerful. And when it has, like, that rage mode, when you push in L3 and R3 and you just, like, oh, yeah. finish off dudes in, like, three hits, it's like, oh, my God. It uh, makes you feel powerful. It makes me a better Spider-Man. <laughs> I can't get rid of this suit. It makes me a better Spider-Man. Yuri Lowenthal, that fucker's voice must be torn apart. Yeah, his performance in this game is incredible. He's so funny in this game. He has a lot of great lines. But just like, even just like the screaming parts, because again, the symbiote is still weak to vibrations and loud noises and stuff. So like when a bell goes off in, in Spider-Man's direction, Yuri Lowenthal will just let out these guttural, Aah! like the way he will still scream at his age in the year of 2023 with these ear piercing, Aah! like his fucking body is being like, it's like someone set Yuri Lowenthal on fire and they just decided to record it. <laughs> oh my God. That's one way to put it. <laughs> it's just it's the most intense screaming i've ever heard in a fucking video game it's crazy i felt so bad for yori lowenthal i thought his fucking vocals were gonna tear apart when i was watching the performance of the game i was just like holy shit is, that, is he okay is he all right because my god he's going through something right now the symbiote is pretty spicy wouldn't you say oh yeah <laughs> peter turns into an edgy boy he gets very very angry very oh, angry. he gets very, very angry in this game. <laughs> I was disappointed, though, that he didn't, like, smoke a cigarette or something. <laughs> smoke a cigarette. Because, like, in the official character Bible of Peter Parker, you can't depict Peter smoking, drinking, or doing any sort of drug unless it's under the influence of the symbiote. Like, that's an actual guideline Marvel has to follow. <laughs> So if you want Peter to, like, smoke weed or catch a blunt, <laughs> as the kids say, um, he needs to be doing it under the influence of the symbiote suit. Holy shit. They missed, <laughs> they missed a golden opportunity for Peter to be smoking up weed. I know. <laughs> Could you imagine Mary Jane walks in, MJ? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You know where I was going with that? <laughs> <laughs> Mary Jane catching him smoking Mary Jane. 
Peter, what are you doing? I'm just lighting up. Get off my back, no, bitch. I'm, I'm blowing you. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that, speaking of that, do you remember back in like two years ago when it was revealed that like through the comics code, the writers will not allow Batman to go down on Catwoman? Yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah. he's the greatest fucking superhero in the world, but Ma Batman does not give oral to his girlfriends. That's <laughs> bullshit. And everyone made, like, the not safe for work <laughs> <laughs> Let Batman eat pussy, goddammit. <laughs> I'm sure he does. They just don't show it. <laughs> You're telling me to look at Batman and assume that he doesn't do that. <laughs> well you know he's a traumatized man maybe he's just a very sexless individual oh, no. or even though he spawns damien wayne and damien is his son in the comics but whatever <laughs> you don't need to eat pussy to give birth to a kid <laughs> This, this conversation's going in a different direction, but uh, uh, the point is, I thought Yuri as symbiote Spider-Man was awesome. I thought his his rage and the way he would scream to noises and the dickish things he would say to, like, the lizard and MJ and stuff, like, No wonder your family left you! <laughs> down that line. I was like, damn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Peter, chill. Holy shit. I just like that mission where it turns into a horror show all of a sudden, like a horror game, because, like, like the comics, the symbiote can take control of Peter even when he's asleep. Yeah. So, at some point, Craven attacks Peter's house, and then uh, it just goes ape shit and just starts tearing them apart, and then MJ tries to reason with it, and uh-uh, uh-uh, the symbiote don't care about you, MJ. It's like, I love this dive into, like, MJ and Peter's relationship where, like, MJ's trying to get, like, this feature for the Daily Bugle and she's trying to impress J. Jonah Jameson. But then, obviously, like, there's that whole juxtaposition of, like, oh, well, she's writing about critiquing Spider-Man, but that's her partner and there's a whole thing there and there's the whole feeling of not being good enough. And I like that. I think that's a very realistic, like, relationship dynamic. There's this moment where Venom manages to grab hold of MJ and he infects her with the symbiote. Yeah. And she becomes Scream. Mm -hmm. uh, and that whole boss fight was fantastic because it was basically like in the same way that Peter becomes an asshole and, and starts like letting out his real frustrations. Yep. Uh, MJ starts letting out her genuine frustrations with Peter Parker, her boyfriend, as they are fighting each other, you know, just letting it just going on and on about how it's always about you. It's always about your problems. What about me? <laughs> yeah. um, I love that dynamic between them. And I love that. Um, it, it was the most interesting way they could have handed, handled a domestic dispute. Yes. I like how Miles Morales eventually uh, warms up to Mr. Negative, even though Mr. Negative is responsible for the death of his father. Yeah. And there is this sort of revenge quest that goes on between them. The difference is Miles doesn't have the symbiote encouraging him to kill people. 
and to just give in to his base revenge and base instincts. And so it's like the great juxtaposition of like Spider-Man without the symbiote eventually doing the right thing, eventually calming down. And Spider-Man with, with the symbiote nearly snaps Craven's neck, if not for Miles Morales. Yeah. And, you know, that whole fight, when, when Miles and Spider-Man fight each other, oh, that, was that was such a fucking fun. great set piece. Holy shit. Again, it was just, again, it all comes down to the vocal performance and what they're saying to each other as the fight goes on. And just, like, the way Miles has been kind of frustrated that Peter's been spending so much time with Harry and leaving him out of stuff. And just like, you don't even call me anymore, man. I need my tutoring. <laughs> I'm trying to finish an essay. God damn it. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the side mission that made me cry. Oh, which one was that? The one with, the one with Howard. <laughs> that made me cry. <laughs> I was not expecting that in my Spider-Man game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah again another thing i love about spider-man 2 this version of spider-man is that the side quests are a lot more personal and a lot more friendly neighborhood you know it's the kind of stuff that a friendly neighborhood spider-man would do when someone's misplaced their grandfather and they're just like spider-man i've lost my grandpa could you please help me find him and that has no fights you don't fight anyone looking for this woman's grandpa you don't get into any kind of scuffle. And when you find the guy, they just have a chill conversation about mortality. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. like Spider-Man just like working with this guy and helping him accept the fact that like he's not going to be around much longer. And all he has left is his granddaughter and stuff. And that is such a human, emotional, relatable, fantastic moment that any other Spider-Man game, if it was Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Shadows. Uh, you know, you name it, they would not have the, the, the heart or the, the passion or the anything to do a side quest like that. And that's what makes Insomniac's version of the character so much better and so much more interesting because it's willing to go into those smaller places that the comics would go. It's willing to go into those more emotional, less gamey kind of segments that make the character what they are. And I really appreciate that. So, like, with Howard, like, the main side mission of that is that um, you're on the, I forget what part of New York it is, like, you're on the docks or whatever, and you're with Howard. Yeah. And Howard was in Spider-Man 1, so he's a recurring character, he's in Spider-Man 2. So, you're just having a talk with him, talking about life and stuff, doesn't really, like, catch you off guard or anything, it's just a conversation about life, but then he asks you to, like release his birds and take them somewhere else and like take them somewhere where they'll be happy and stuff and you get this really nice sequence like i don't know what time of day you did this mission but like i did mine at sunset and so it same, was just such same. a beautiful like view of new york because um for a good part of this mission you're like going over the water and going over the river and the bridges and there's like a really nice song um it's like a really old 70s song. Um, the title like escapes it from my mind, but it's just a really, really beautiful sequence. And it was just a very calming moment. You take the birds over to the park and they're all there. And Spider-Man's like, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to 
tell Howard that the birds were released to, you know, this new place. I put them in Queens. They're good. Then you get back to the spot. There's an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, yeah, he, 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 he died. He died while you were taking the birds out. He ain't going to be in rush hour three. But it's like missions like that that reveal like the human soul of Spider-Man and what Spider-Man is supposed to be to like these citizens and the people that he serves. And I thought that was just a very nice mission. Yeah. It's a fantastic game and it just filled me with so many like thrills. Like there were so many missions that just had me on the edge of my seat. Like the moment where you first take control of Venom. Yes. Mm, that was good. Like, Harry fucking gets the symbiote back, and then he turns into just straight-up Venom, and he starts breaking through Oscorp's building, and we get to play all of this. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you're diving through shit, you're smashing through all the walls like you're the Hulk and stuff, and then he just starts getting these finisher moves, and there's one finisher move in particular that I winced. I actually, like, had to pause <laughs> the game and go, Oh! Because... Venom will take a guy and fucking snap him in half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He will pick up a motherfucker and break his back. And I was just like, oh, oh, God, Venom, why? Jesus Christ. That's the power of Venom, baby. (laughs) It was amazing. It's uh, super, super awesome and, you know. It's Spider-Man. You can't go wrong with Spider-Man 2. The swinging is incredible. The fact that you have all these costumes you can switch between, and they all have different color styles. Um, Actually, one thing I wanted to ask you about, what did you think of Miles' last outfit? The outfit he got near the end of the game? I thought it was neat. Yeah, me too. A- apparently, on the internet, that people hate this costume. Really? I thought it was okay. Why is his hair sticking out? Why does he have a lightning thing on his costume? Like, because he's the lightning Spider-Man. Who cares? (laughs) I don't know. It just felt like Insomniac wanted to do their spin on Miles Morales in the same way that they had their spin on Peter Parker. Because, you know, in the comics, he doesn't have that white Spider-Man symbol. And... It's it's so silly because I just remember like when the first trailers started coming out for Marvel's Spider-Man, when Insomniac revealed that they were doing Spider-Man, there were people who were just like, what's with the white spider logo? Why his costume's <laughs> yeah. different? And I'm just like, dude, it, it makes him stand out. It makes him like significantly. This is the Insomniac Spider-Man. And I actually don't think it's that bad of a look. Yeah, for sure. I guess with Miles, they thought the new costume went too far in a few places. I don't know. Yeah. What about that cliffhanger? Yeah. Uh, so we're definitely getting a Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> besides the Doc Ock thing and besides, like, Norman wanting revenge for what happened to Harry, which I think it was a little clumsy, uh, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I'm like, why are you blaming Spider-Man for that shit? You knew <laughs> he was Venom. Yeah. <laughs> What did you expect to happen? At least he's alive. Like, Christ. In a coma, but alive. (laughs) I just like, it's just, I could at least get that in the movie, the Sam Raimi one, 
Harry sees him standing over his dead father and he's like, what have you done? Okay, I buy yeah. that. But I don't know. With this instance, it's like, well, Spider-Man is the hero of New York and Venom was a monster. What did you ex And he's still alive. What did you expect to happen? I don't know. But regardless of that, at the very end, there's a tease because we finally get to meet the woman that Miles's mom... Oh, sorry. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> sorry. We finally get to meet the man that Miles's woman... Oh my god. <laughs> Miles's woman. Damn. That's a pretty inappropriate relationship. <laughs> okay, okay. Haley? Uh, <laughs> we finally get to meet the man that Miles's mother has been dating behind the scenes that we keep hearing about in the cutscenes. And at first, it's like, we don't know who it is. It's just some Asian guy named Albert. Okay, that's not a reveal. But then we get the reveal of who his daughter is, and it's Cindy Moon. Dude. And if you're unfamiliar with the comics, Cindy Moon is another spider woman uh, who goes by the name of Silk. Yeah. So it implies that Spider-Man 3 could potentially have three spider people. Oh, <gasps> gasp. <laughs> because we could have Peter, we could have Miles, and now we're going to have new character Silk. In Spider-Man 2, we have two Spider-Men. In Spider-Man 3, we have three Spider-Men. <laughs> well, we're not going to see that until the PlayStation 6 comes out. So... Yeah. I give really. five more years, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I know we had this whole COVID thing that happened in between and stuff, but... God, that thing's going to take like five, six years to come out. Oh, yeah. Assuming we don't get like... I don't know, an in-between title like Miles Morales was. Or just a Silk title. Yeah, like they could just release Silk and just have a, her own standalone game where she becomes a superhero or something. But either way, I'm looking forward to it because Insomniac has done no wrong for me. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is still amazing. Um, it is pretty identical to the previous game, so it doesn't have like that new oh my god innovative i've never seen anything like this before kind of feeling uh, but if you love spider-man it's a must get it's a yep. must get and the venom symbiote arc is handled quite nicely you cannot go wrong with this one go get it <laughs> It's question time! It's question time! And now, folks, we're ending the video as we always do with fan questions from the good folks at Patreon who keep paying me money to make videos even though I'm slow as a snail and I must have disappointed so many people with how bad my output is. I'm sorry! Oh. I'm sorry! Oh. I hope you enjoy Final Fantasy 16. <laughs> but anywho... You ready to do questions, Carol? I'm always ready. Fire them at me. Okay. Yousef asks, what are your thoughts on Persona 4? Goated. It's my personal favorite in the Persona series. I love Persona 4. I mean, it's got an amazing soundtrack. I just think it had so many improvements over Persona 3 Fests on the PlayStation 2. 
I also think it's just not as stalling and as slow as Persona 5 can be. I know it's got that long two-hour intro, but when the game starts going, it just keeps going as far as I'm concerned. And I like the characters, even if they can be problematic at times. It is a game from 2008, not everything about it ages super well, but that's kind of Atlas in general, really. <laughs> yep. Basically everything that um, Clement said about Persona 4, it's also my favorite in the series, and it's the first one I ever played, so it's awesome. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Victor Glenn asks, Hi C-Squared, since this episode you'll be talking about Scott Pilgrim, and one of the most relatable aspects for me is being a struggling, being in a struggling indie band, since I'm in a couple of those, what kind of music do you listen to, and how has it changed over the years? That's a really great question. So um, when I was younger, I, I I listened to stuff on the radio when I was younger. Like, I was super into Britney Spears. I love Britney. <laughs> She's one of my favorite artists ever. It's Britney, bitch. Yeah, it's Britney, bitch. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I liked a lot of pop music. But when I got into middle school, um, I started getting into, like, more rock music. Because, you know, adolescence, angst, you, yeah. get, you get it? So, um some of my favorite artists from when I was a teenager um, was My Chemical Romance. I liked listening to, like, System of a Down. <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> so edgy. Um, like, those kinds of bands. Um, Muse is my favorite band ever, just to, like, get them out of the way. I've seen them live, like, at least three times. They're great. I love them. Um, but As you a should. lot of. Yes. But um, nowadays, I listen to a lot of different varieties of music. Um, so I still listen to rock. Um, I listen to a lot of, like, electronic bedroom pop, like a lot of indie music in that regard. Um, I like listening to The Neighborhood. They're a really great band. Um, I've also been really into Olivia Rodrigo. I think, like, her songwriting is incredible, and I love the lyrics, and she's really inspired by, like, a lot of alt-rock music that she listened to as a kid, so you really hear that a lot in her singles. So I think it's great that there's, like, a pop artist like that that's really popular with everyone now. And I am a Swifty, <laughs> so um, I like a lot of Taylor Swift's music. The Eras concert like movie actually came out the week I was visiting Clement, but I did not want him to be subjected to three hours of me singing. So I will wait for the movie to hit streaming next week. <laughs> How so thoughtful. Was, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and because of that, I have been super into the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey relationship. <laughs> so yeah, that is basically my music taste. I listen to a lot of different things unless it is like country music. I've grown more fond of rap recently. Like, Kendrick Lamar is one of my favorite artists, too. So, yeah. Well, thank you for the detailed, detailed explanation. Because uh, I am a music I person. I, I have to be detailed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how else to, I don't really know how to describe it. Like, I've got a lot of my music folder up front in front of me right now. And I remember as a, as a kid in high school, I was really into, like, punk rock, ska, alternative kind of music. You know, I like listening to Goldfinger. Um, Rub Rebel Against, I believe, was the band. Um, yeah, My Chemical Romance was definitely one of them. Uh, Jimmy Eat World, The Hippos. I was really into Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Rob Zombie's initials uh, album. I fucking almost every song on that I just adored. Um, and then of course 
in like the late 2000s, I discovered Anamanaguchi, and I have loved every single thing they've ever released. Like Endless Fantasy, that album's incredible. The Scott Pilgrim game, because they did the yeah. music for that game, is incredible. Uh, Power Supply, you know, go. You could go on and on because I think Chip Tune is like rock music combined with eight bit music. Ah, oh, it's like my favorite band ever. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was very much into like just alternative punk rock kind of stuff. And over the years, as my tastes have gotten better, I, I well, it's not like they've gotten better. I, I've always loved '80s music and yes, '70s music, but it's like it, it's becoming more of a thing where like I'm much more into disco now. <laughs> <laughs> I love listening to the Bee Gees and listening to uh, fucking Earth, Wind, and Fire and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Unlike Carol, I can handle country music. There are a few country songs I actually really enjoy. Um, but yeah, I've just never been that big into rap. You know, it, rap has never been my genre. It's never been the, my go-to. And uh, there's very few things about that genre that I listen to. So yeah, mostly just a lot of punk rock, a lot of uh, alternative stuff, let's say. Well, it sounds like you have to show me good country and I have to show you good rap. <laughs> sounds like it. it sounds, sounds like. like it oh boy get ready <laughs> oh gosh thank you for the question connor Merritt asks hey there clement and caro with the release of super mario rpg on the switch would you say the game is as the same as the original and if it is would you recommend purchasing it thanks again yeah pretty much i mean it, it's easier but it looks better it sounds better and it does have some extra hard super bosses after you beat the game. So the localization is pretty much intact and nothing about it has been like compromised. I, I don't feel. So yeah, I'd absolutely recommend the remake of Super Mario RPG. I second everything he said. Go get it. The Legend of Groose asks, Hey Clement and Caro, any reveals you're looking forward to slash hoping for at the Game Awards? Love y'all toodles. Well... There's been an interesting thing going on in social media where Sega has been sending invites or little cards to certain content creators online. I think Maximilian Dude got a card. So they're revealing something at the Game Awards next week. So I'm very interested. Yeah, like they've been mostly sent to fighting game creators. So I don't know if they're doing like a fighting game reveal of sorts, but they're planning on something pretty big next week. So I'm looking forward to that. Shit, is Virtua Fighter coming back? Oh That's my god. That's the rumor I heard. But I don't know. Other than that, I'm not sure. I mean, it's not exactly happening at the Game Awards, but there is the new trailer for GTA 6 coming out soon. So I guess in terms of gaming news, I'm looking forward to that. But otherwise, I tend to be an open book with the Game Awards. If there's anything I want to hear more of, maybe the new Hades game. Actually, yeah, I was going to say that. I want Hades 2. Where is it? We haven't seen any footage of it since its announcement. And everything else is just sort of like, you know, pie in the sky kind of things. Like, I want Metal Gear Rising Revengeance (laughs) 2. I want Pokemon Puzzle League 2. That won't happen. That's not happening. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Capcom announces some kind of big reveal. I think Capcom's probably... Because Capcom has been talking about, like, they do have more Resident Evil remakes coming. Like, they are working on some more, so maybe they might announce one of those. I don't know. What would they remake, though? 
Oh, there's Code Veronica, there's Zero, there's... They could remake the original again, because <laughs> while, Re while Resident Evil was remade in 2002, it has been 20, 20 years since then. And, you know, it, the remake of Resident Evil 1 still has those fixed camera angles, and it still has that old-school mentality of what a Resident Evil game is. And yeah. some people have been clamoring for the original game to feel more like the new remakes with an over-the-shoulder camera and just the new, you know, new dialogue, new everything. So it, I don't think that's off the cards. I think that's still a thing. They could remake the very original Resident Evil. Yeah. And maybe Hideo Kojima. I, I assume Hideo Kojima is going to show up. It's Jeff Keighley. It's the Game Awards. Maybe they'll have better security this year. <laughs> so that people aren't jumping on stage at the end of the show. If that kid shows up behind Hideo Kojima, shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Oh, oh gosh. No one's interrupting me again. But Fluke Guy's <laughs> going to be there. Who? Fluke Guy. Oh, The guy on the flute that went yeah. wild last year. He's going to be there. Nice. Mm -hmm. The musical performances should be fantastic. Yes. But yeah, should be good. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your question. Thank you for the question. Robert Boy Genius asks, what are your thoughts on the Monster Hunter series? I wanted to get into it. It's just not for me. Yeah. I played the demo of Monster Hunter stories. But that's different from mainline Monster Hunter, and I do not have experience with mainline Monster Hunter, unfortunately. I I, I hope one day I'll fi it'll finally just click with me. I'll finally just get it. But uh, as of right now, it's just not my kind of game. Yeah. Thank you for the Same question. Way. Thank you. Kari Rene Rose asks, Aloha, Clement and Caro. As always, first question, hopefully you both are doing well. Yes, I Thank am. You. Uh, my second question, is there a new game in the Mega Man series you would like to see? Any series, not just classic. Time and time again, always going to be a fan of C-Squared. Both of you take care. Love you both. Also, side note, my name is pronounced Kari. Oh, sorry. Kari, Kari. Rennie okay. Rose. Kari Rennie Rose. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I think X is long overdue for a sequel. Yes. Because we've gotten Mega Man 11. Uh... It's time for X9. It's time for X to come back into the limelight and show everyone why that series kicked ass. But uh, the obvious answer is also Legends 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obvious, obvious answer. And yeah, that's about it. I I mean, they could announce ZX3, but I feel like that's even less of a likely thing than fucking Legends. They could announce a new Battle Network game, but <laughs> Battle they Network could. just had the collection out. And it, it is a popular series. I'm not a huge Battle Network guy, but it is a popular series. I could see that too. Yes. But personally, I want X. I want X9. I want X to come back. That would be my answer too. Cool. Thank you for your question. Gelly Elfson asks, would you consider expanding your Final Fantasy video series to, to cover spinoff games? I would suggest the TV shows and movies, but I wouldn't want the copyright bots to eat you alive. Uh, yeah, I think one day I might do that. I mean, I know people have been expressing interest of, like, you really hyped up Final Fantasy Tactics in the 12 video. Are you ever going to do a video on Tactics? 
There are people who want me to cover Kingdom Hearts, and I'm scared to do that because I feel like my critiques of the story will get me a lot of hate. Are you saying (laughs) Including from across the table. Yeah, are you saying that because I'm here? That's right. (laughs) You won't. You got to cover that game. (laughs) I'm just saying there are things about that story I don't like. Well, that's but I like the series in general. Too bad. I like the you. series in general. <laughs> <laughs> I still like the games just fine, but um, yeah, I maybe one day I'll come back to other Final Fantasy things. I just have a, like a boatload of things that I want to do besides that right now. And I mean, as a patron, you know full well from my video polls all the ideas I have floating in my head. Um. I'll try and pitch something like that in the future, though, for sure. It's just right now, I got Final Fantasy 16, and I just... 7 Rebirth is coming out soon. Yeah. And there's a lot of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy never stops. It never stops. Nope. It's always here. (laughs) Don't forget you're here forever. (laughs) But thank you for the question. And finally, Jet Force Juno asks... What's a good question to ask you? Um, that's a good question. What would be a good question? You could ask me my favorite color, my favorite food, how tall I am, um, if I like pineapple on pizza. Um, pop oh quiz. What are the answers to all the questions I just posed? Uh, uh pink. Uh. Yes, you like pineapple on pizza. We're out of time. That's it for C squared, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But, you know, yeah, whatever. Whatever question's good. Anyone who donates to the Patreon, you can ask us whatever you want. Yes. You can ask us sexual questions. (laughs) What's your favorite sex position? You could ask that. You could you could ask who's the celebrity you most want to make out with? I don't know. <laughs> you do know. Anything's but good. Anything's possible. Oh oh oh! Oh, oh I know. <laughs> well, someone's gonna ask that, so someone should probably insert that <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we can't give direct answers on is like name a YouTuber you don't like, which I'm not gonna do no. that. That kind of drama's for fucking high school. I'm out of high school. No, thank you. <laughs> or anything about my personal address. Uh, no. Yeah. No. I'm not telling you where I live. No. Fuck you. You go to hell. <laughs> I live in, in Canada. That's it. That's all you need to know. I'm in Philly, but you don't know where. You don't even know if I'm using it as a cover. I could be in the suburbs. There are, there are popular YouTubers that everyone likes that I think are pretty mid, but I would never tell them that. Same. And I'm not going to tell you either. <laughs> I'm not going to tell oh, you either. <laughs> Get fucked, Johnny. I mean, wait. Oh, no, I didn't oh, say that. I didn't no. say that. I didn't say that. Gonna, I didn't say that. I'm going to dial him on the phone right now and tell him what you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. I love Johnny. Johnny's awesome. Yeah, I love Great Johnny. videos. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This was a fun day, Caro. This was fun. Got any crazy plans for December? So I need to get some Christmas shopping done, including deciding... Well, actually, I did get... And I can say this happily on the podcast. I did get Clement a partially his gift. I got a partial part of Clement's Christmas gift. Partial? 
Yes, partial. Interesting. You'll see. On December 25th. <laughs> well, I shall be getting you something as well as the uh, overdue Stephanie McMahon figure that I still have here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can bring that <laughs> Which in. we bought when we were together. Yes. <laughs> and yes, Stephanie McMahon from the WWE. You don't understand. It's a different context. This figure is very strange. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'll have to show it off on Twitter when I get it, but yes. And in 2024, we're going to have a lot of significant plans, which I'm so excited to talk about. Oh boy. Yeah, so like... It's going to be great for the two of us. I'm very much looking forward to what we have planned for 2024. I mean, I still plan on doing another C-squared before I go, but I know I am going to be visiting MAGFest. Not as a guest guest, but as just a an observer and a, per, and a person going to MAGFest. So, yep. in case for some reason I don't make a C-squared in the next month before January 17th, um, then yeah, that's something I'm doing. Yeah. So, um... This is his first MAGFest. This will be my second MAGFest, which I'm really excited about. It was the last con I went to before COVID-19. So I'm very excited to revisit it again, and it'll be fun. Really fun. So, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This was a pretty long one. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the spoilerific discussions. If you want more spoilerific, you know, more detailed uh, conversations, let us know in the comments. Let us know how you feel about that. And, uh... We'll catch you on the flip side. All right. I am the Great Clement. And I'm Caro. And thanks for listening. And we'll see y'all in the new year. Well, you'll see me in the new year. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.